Welcome to the Veterinary Startup Practice Podcast with attorney Rob Montgomery, where Rob and his veterinary industry guests seek to demystify the process of starting up a veterinary practice. Since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. And now, here's Rob Montgomery. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and welcome to the Veterinary Startup Practice Podcast, where, as we like to say, we are seeking to demystify the process of starting a vet practice by bringing in experts and thought leaders from the veterinary world to talk about the startup process and what to do, and sometimes even more importantly, what not to do. So today we are joined by a special guest, Doug Drees from Wells Fargo Bank. Uh, Doug is a senior business development lending consultant with Wells Fargo Healthcare Industries Group, who covers the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware territory for the bank. And over the past 22 years, Doug has helped uh, doctors start, grow, and transition their professional practices and with Wells Fargo. Doug specializes in lending to healthcare providers for practice startups, practice acquisitions, refinancing existing practice debt, expansions, relocations, and also equipment financing. And Doug and his team really look to get involved with the practice as a long-term partner with their customers by offering product support and resources throughout the doctor's career. And uh, I've had the pleasure of working with Doug on a number of deals with our mutual veterinary clients. Uh, Doug is uh, really a great resource uh, for those clients, and I'm excited to have him here today and really share his knowledge and expertise about what the lending world looks like uh, when it comes time to get financing for the startup. So without further ado, Here's Doug Drees. Welcome, Doug. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Rob. I'm really excited about this and looking forward to trying to help. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really passionate, as you know, about helping docs transition into practice ownership. And, of course, in the, uh, the vet world and with other healthcare industries, you know, you have the option of doing an acquisition where you're buying an existing practice. Uh, or, you know, these days it's becoming more and more viable to uh, essentially hang out a shingle, as we used to call it, uh, and and start up your own practice. So obviously, uh, folks, uh, for most of you, most of us, it's very hard to start a business without uh, a business loan. Uh, these are not inexpensive projects. Uh, so one of the important relationships that you need to have is with a, uh, a banker uh, like Doug and Wells Fargo. And so, Doug, when should vets who are thinking about startups, engage with you? Well, they should definitely engage with us uh, early in the process. Um, you want to make sure that you can qualify for a loan. And, you know, that's the biggest piece of this. You know, unless you're independently wealthy, you're going to need the money from the bank. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and few people are independently wealthy enough for that, uh, for this kind of endeavor. And so, you know, when you say right off the bat, are we, are you, are we saying, you know, uh, you know, there's several stages and several steps, you know, we, we're talking to, uh, to equipment uh, salespeople and consultants and realtors on the show. Uh, are you thinking that 
people would be best served by reaching out to you before they've found a location for their practice? Or is it too late to reach out to you after they've found their location? Well, I would always suggest that they reach out to the bank prior to finding a location. Uh, a lot of times, landlords aren't going to want to negotiate a lease with somebody who's not pre-qualified or qualified for the loan already. So I think it's really important to, to get get the bank involved really early in the process. Probably one of the first people you would want to reach out to is the bank. Yeah, and I, and I tend to agree with that, too. You know, for a number of factors, I mean, one, it also becomes a threshold issue. If for some reason you can't get financing, uh, it's good to know that at the outset before you spend a lot of time hiring professionals and working with realtors to help you find a space if you're not going to be able to uh, to do the uh, to do the project. So, um, you know, with that, you know, there are several different ways that you can approach a startup uh, and, you know, you can purchase the real estate and then build it out for your for your vet hospital, or uh, you could lease uh, an existing space or lease a retail space or an office space or a building and then build it out also. Tell people a little bit about those different paths and what that looks like from a financing standpoint, Doug. Yeah, from, from the bank standpoint, it, it doesn't matter to us. We could help finance the, the real estate if you choose to purchase the real estate. Um, we can fit out an existing space, you know, a lease space. It really doesn't matter to us. I mean, we do need to know prior to us funding the loan, uh, but we can do either one. I would say most doctors, uh, I would say 80% or 85% of doctors that look to start a practice are leasing a space, uh, but it doesn't doesn't say you can't can't purchase your own building and, and start from scratch uh, in your own building. Yeah. And I think that's kind of been a trend that's changed over the years. Doug, when I first started representing veterinarians, I felt like there was a little bit more of an aversion to leasing space than there is now. I feel like you know a lot more practice owners felt like they had to buy the building and own the building and and then fit it out. Have you seen that over over your twenty two years, Doug? Uh, that 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 trend. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, doctors sometimes they don't want to invest into somebody else's building, right? And I, I completely understand that. I mean, the cost of uh, the leasehold improvements and, and getting that space ready is, is rather expensive, you know. Um, so that's why a lot of doctors are looking to purchase their own building, um, you know, and get started in their own building now. Yeah, and I, I see that too. I, I, I'm a big proponent, though, of finding the right real estate that optimizes your chances for success. So I feel like a lot of times people kind of over uh, overthink and 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 give a little bit too much uh, priority towards owning the real estate. Uh, to me, the most important thing is having your 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 vet clinic in a place that is has the best demographics. It's the best location. It's the easiest place for uh, for your clients and patients to get in and out of. There are a lot of other intangibles that I think where the real estate can really be optimal to help uh, optimize your revenue. And sometimes that's a piece of property that isn't for sale or or can't be purchased if it's in a retail environment uh, or in some sort of office park that doesn't have that that opportunity to purchase. I feel like uh, you know the every every 
concession that you make on location and demographics to have the opportunity to own, you know, could possibly uh, cost you dollars down the road. Yes, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, you know, and just kind of go back, uh, you know, we were talking about, you know, whether or not when people could get financing uh, or when they should start to talk to you and really have a sense of of whether or not they're bankable. Uh, you know, what we oftentimes hear people talk about young veterinarians is that, oh, wow, you know, I can never get a loan because I have so much student loan debt. You know, and no bank wants to lend to me because of you know, I owe $350,000 in student loans or whatever number, take take your pick, depending on how much school and where you've gone, right? The, how, how enormous that number can be. But um, talk to our, our listeners, Doug, about what how the bank looks at just debt overall when they're determining whether or not to, to approve somebody for financing. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I speak to students all the time and young, doc, young doctors, and <clears throat> I, I do hear that a lot. You know, they think that they can't get a loan because of the amount of student loan debt they have. Um, here at Wells Fargo, we have a special division within the bank that just deals with doctors, and that's the healthcare industry group. And we're very familiar with that. I mean, we're, we're, we're used to it. We see it all the time, um, and we take everything into consideration. Um, the other thing that we do is, you know, there's – um, the misconception that doctors can't start a practice because they don't have enough down payment, right? We're doing practice loans all the time, 100% financing. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really easy to get a loan for, for a startup loan. How we do it is we make, make sure that there's enough income coming in, and this is projected income from the new practice plus associating income. So a lot of, most of the time we're going to need some sort of associating income. We take both of those numbers together. And we use that to cash flow the deal. What that means is, is that enough income for you to pay both your business, your new business debt, and your personal debts? And as long as everything cash flows, then we can get an approval. Right. And I think that's, you said that that's, you know, a misconception a lot of people have. And I, I, I see that too. And I'm not even in, uh, I'm not even a lender, you know, and so in my world, you know, that, that misconception pops up a lot. Uh, let's just kind of step back and, and talk about some of those details. And I think this is important for people to know that the bank is looking for associate income in a startup. And so what I'm understanding you to say there is you're going to start up a practice. That doesn't mean that you quit your job necessarily and you don't work and you have zero associate income and that you're sitting in your in your new uh, vet hospital waiting for uh, waiting for the phone to ring, right? I mean, there's an expectation that while the practice is ramping up, you're going to continue to work part-time someplace else and earn income. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, you know, when you give up that income or step back from your associating position is really up to you. Uh, once your practice can support itself, you know, you, you can phase out of that associating position. Uh, but we are going to require that you have some sort of associating income to get started. Great. Yeah. And that's important. I mean, look, folks, that's important for a loan approval standpoint. And it's also important for a we need to live and eat standpoint, right? That, you know, I think if you uh, you need to get income from somewhere. And I, I kind of feel like, Doug, like having that 
out there, you know, kind of let's demystify the startup process a little bit, knowing that you have that safety net, that you have other income, hopefully would make people a little more comfortable with the decision. Like you don't have to look at this, you know, listeners as, wow, I'm taking this giant leap. I'm quitting my job. I'm putting all my eggs in my bed with this one basket and hope that my startup is successful. Uh, not only, you know, do you not have to do that, you shouldn't do that for uh, for a loan approval standpoint. And then for your own sort of survival standpoint, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, you do have a safety net. You do have a cushion in that other associate income. And, you know, as Doug said, as you know, at what time do you stop? At what point do you stop working that other job? Well, when you don't have time for that job anymore, when you're so busy with your own practice that, you know, you need to dedicate a full time to that. But um, that's an important thing for people to understand at, at, at several levels. And I think, you know, to me, that's 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 another misconception that I see that, you know, that you you can only, you know, expect to, to earn 100% of your income in the startup. Yeah, we never want to put you in a position where you can't pay your bills. Yeah. Right. And that's that's the bank being somewhat paternalistic. <laughs> but this is one of those things where the bank's interest and, you know, our, our vet startup clients interest completely converge uh, in that, you know, you need to earn a living and they need you to be able to earn a living to be able to repay the loan. So uh, that that's good advice for everybody involved because uh, we're not looking to help people fail with their startups, but to to do well and to uh, to thrive. So, Doug, you know, that that is a misconception, I think, that, you know, as we talked about, a lot of people have. What is what are some mistakes that you see veterinarians make when they're doing a startup? Oh, I would say probably the biggest mistake I see is not having a team of experts around you, you know, to start up that practice. Um, and when I say industry experts, you know, I mean, people that are familiar with the, the vet industry, you know, you want to make sure that you have a lawyer, a banker, a real estate agent, CPA, you know, all these people, contractors that are familiar with the vet industry and not use, you know, your brother-in-law who happens to be maybe a real estate agent or something like that. Um, because it could really come back to bite you in the, in the, in the end. You know, I think it's really important to, to have those industry expert professionals surround you. Yeah, and and I, and I have to you know full you know, I have to tell our, our listeners here, this is you've now heard this from several different guests. I am not telling people to say that. <laughs> you know, we all we all work in this in this world, uh, helping vets with their you know startups and, and transitions. This is really meaningful advice. I think with what Doug is saying, and I I totally agree. You know, I think uh, and there's there's you can't really bag on any one of those team members or work with somebody that's deficient in any way. I mean, if you say, okay, I'm just going to go to my local bank for a loan and hope that they give me $600,000 for my startup. Well, you know, that may not work. You know, they may not want to do that. And what I see a lot of times, especially uh, when people are looking to, to get startup loans from, uh, from lenders who are not in this world, the bank will lend them not enough money and uh, and that can be a really a key thing, I think, you know, and that it's important to get enough money to do the project right. 
you know, not just to be able to borrow enough money to do the project and just barely get by and just have enough money to, to build out, not have enough money to have sufficient equipment, hire sufficient people for working capital, do the right marketing. Like, you know, if you're working with somebody who's not a vet focused lender, doesn't understand this world, then you may not get sufficient funds to allow you to do what you need to do to really set yourself up for success. And I'm not saying, hey, go out and just borrow money like like a drunken sailor. You know, you still have to be careful. You need to have a budget, but there's a return on this investment. And so you need to work with somebody who knows how much money you need and understands what the needs are for a startup practice so that you get what you need to be able to, to succeed. Uh, you know, agree more. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the same thing comes up, you know, in the, the realtor world, you know, where we see realtors who are not that specific. They're not asking for the right things from the landlord. They are not getting enough build out time with free rent or even worse. A lot of times they don't know how good of a tenant a vet is so that they're not able to advocate and really sell the landlord on what a great opportunity is for the landlord, because obviously the better the uh, the landlord, the more the landlord perceives how good their tenant is, the better terms they're willing to give. And then, you know, obviously, shameless plug here for the for the lawyers that know this this world too. There's just so many little twists and turns when it comes to the to the lease or the even the the real estate purchase, especially in the vet world, where you're looking at zoning and knowing that what you want, the type of practice that you want to do, that you're going to be able to do it in that location. Um, vets are a little different than other healthcare industries that there are some zoning requirements that may not be applicable to other healthcare that are relevant to to vets, you know, as to whether or not you can do overnight boarding, how that impacts with your surgery patients. Uh, there's lots of other issues that you can't overlook. Uh, and that's why you need to work with people that know what questions to uh, to ask. So, uh, you know, when we talk about this, like, you know, and, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the to the actual dollars, Doug, but you know, how does the bank look at a loan amount? How do they de do they determine how much money somebody needs to borrow? And then I guess similar question is like, when is too much? When is it too much? And when does the bank say, you know what? No, that's not a project that we can be involved in. We, you know, you can't expect to borrow that much money. Uh, well, what we really want to do is understand the project itself. And we want to be able to give you enough money to complete that project. Um, so, but a lot of times, you know, doctors come to us and they really don't know what that budget's going to be in the beginning. So, you know, we'll try to target a, a number, you know, an average number and then try to get them approved there and, you know, with the understanding that it can go up or down from, from there. Um, as far as a, a dollar amount that's too high, um, I don't know. It really, like, again, every, every, every deal is a little different, you know. Um, every need's a little different, whether you're right. doing ground-up construction, whether you're leasing a space, you know. Uh, but we would definitely take a look at each individual opportunity and, and make sure that we can um, – give enough money because like you said earlier, you know, if you don't have enough to complete the project, then, then what happens, right? You're in the middle of the project and, and you can't finish it if you don't have the funds to complete it and the bank's not going to, you know, give you more money. So it's really important that we understand the, the project from the beginning and, and make sure that we 
get approval to meet that budget. And that's and that kind of takes us back to what what you said a few minutes ago, which is this is why it's important, listeners, to reach out to Doug early in the process, so that when you're talking to uh, to, to designers and architects and contractors, everybody understands kind of what we're what we're doing here. You know, what are you proposing to do? What is it going to cost? Can you get enough money for that? No, you can't. Well, then what do we need to do to scale back a little bit or to make it something that's manageable? Or, you know, if we're talking about equipment financing and, and some of the build out stuff, you know, you know that you can build out, you know, so, so many treatment rooms now, but, you know, you're going to plumb them and maybe you're not buying all the equipment now. All this is kind of a, you know, it all kind of goes together and uh, you can't just do one and say, OK, I got my loan for X and now I'm going to go out and try to buy uh, equipment for Y. And now I'm going to go try to find a builder uh, who's going to build this for, for Z. Like this is all, all this stuff is is interrelated and and you really need to be doing them in connection with each other because they all, they all do overlap. Um, Doug, you know, when you're, we're talking about, uh, I just want to walk the listeners a little bit through the sort of the differences and what loans look like. If you're buying real estate, that's not presently uh, uh, set up or fit out for a vet practice. You know, what do those loans look like? You know, it, it's really my understanding and my uh, what I've observed in my experience is that um, you're looking at basically two loans more or less from the bank, where there's kind of a, an acquisition loan for the real estate, and then a similar loan where you're you're actually financing what we call the fit out which would be the same type of loan if you were fitting out a lease space too. Is that, is that kind of a true characterization? Yeah, that's, that's actually, that's accurate. Um, so if a new doctor, doctor that hasn't had a practice uh, before, you know, brand new startup uh, wants to purchase a building and start a practice, then it would be two separate loans. The real estate loan would be an SBA loan in that case. And then you would have a practice loan for the fit out, the equipment and the working capital. So two separate loans. If it's an existing doctor <clears throat> that wants to buy real estate and open up maybe a second location or move his location, um, then we have options there. It could be an SBA loan, or he or she could go into a conventional loan. Um, so an existing doctor has a little bit more options, but in either case, it'll be two separate loans for the real one, one for the real estate, and then the other for the the fit out working capital and equipment. Right. So people shouldn't really probably overfocus on the overall loan amount of those two loans, you know, so if you're buying, for example, a piece of real estate for $800,000 and you're going to put $700,000 of uh, a fit out into it, you know, it's a total of $1.5 million, which sounds like a lot of money. Well, it is a lot of money, but um, that's a very different loan than trying to get approved for a million and a half dollars to fit out a leased space, which is probably most people wouldn't be able to pull off. Correct. Right. So you're really when you're looking at those loans, you're looking at certainly the real estate acquisition portion of it is what is this real estate worth? You're going to get an appraisal and do all that stuff. And then that's going to determine that loan amount. And then somewhat separately, you're looking at, OK, what's it going to cost now to take this empty space or the space that used to be a karate gym or whatever and now turn it into a uh, into a vet practice? Correct. Yep. That's yeah. right. Um, so, uh, you know, again, when we're talking about how much people can can borrow and we were talking about debt. 
uh, I guess, what is what are some good things that you see vets do when they're when they're planning their uh, their startup? Well, I mean, I think the best thing that they can do, and, and some of the good things that I see, is you know really understanding what the project's going to cost, um, having a, a business plan or at least a vision. Um, we don't require a business plan, so you know if it's something that you're stuck on, we can help you with that. Uh, we don't require projections. I know a lot of times doctors get hung up on the projections of a business plan, uh, but you know have that vision. Really understand what you want, um, and we can try to figure out how to get there. But you have to know what you want. Uh, I think going into that. Yeah, and this is another uh, another word that uh, you know we have several guests now that have used that word, and I, I like to use it too in the in the startup world, especially. And I think this this really goes again to the importance of planning. You know, you can't just call up Doug and say, I want to start up a vet practice. Great. What's it going to look like? Where's it going to be? How big is it? You know, how do, what type of, of practice will it be? What, how do you, what, what type of patients do you want to treat? Like you need to have an understanding of what it is that you want. And one of the great things about starting up a practice is it allows this sort of customization and it allows you to to set your own vision and 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 really and then pursue it and 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 start from scratch in the way that you want it but you can't expect to pick up the phone and and talk to to Doug Drees or Matt Fletcher or Rob Montgomery or Des Morrow or uh, you know uh, any of our you know guests here and say you know tell me what I need to do and uh, because it's not uh, it's not something somebody else can't tell you what your vision is so you really need to understand what it is that you want before you go out there and start assembling the team that Doug was talking about earlier. Um, so uh, Doug, I guess you know what's one piece of advice that you would give to a veterinarian that's considering a startup? Uh, I think yeah, I would tell them not to put their dream on hold, you know, um, go out, practice ownership is your goal, you know, reach out and, and see if we can put that together for you. I mean, like I said, reach out to the bank and, and we can help put all those professionals in place if you don't have them, um, but not delay. Don't delay, I guess would be my advice. Yeah, and and this is really what what's driving us, and you know, our interest in really trying to get the word out for why startup is a viable option is, I think a lot of their associates kind of feel stuck or feel like they don't have options. That you know, basically, with the the increased proliferation of corporate ownership, uh, that it's it's harder for them to acquire practices, and you know, if they can't compete with um, some of this uh, corporate ownership and the prices that they're paying for these uh, practice acquisitions that, well, you know, the only other option is to continue, continue to be an associate. And, um, you know, that's not the case. I mean, there is another option and it's, you know, a very good option if it's done properly, which is consider doing a startup. And, you know, as Doug, you're saying, you know, don't wait. And I, I think that that is uh, an important thing that, you know, you have the ability as a professional to get out there and and develop and build a practice of your dreams uh, in in the way that you want it, with the vision that you want it. Um, and really the first step, I feel like, for everybody who's listening here who might be thinking about this is just start asking. 
just start learning more about the process. You know, you you can you could talk to to uh, to Doug Drees. Tell me what this loan looks like. You know what? You know how how many years is this going to be financed for? How does it work with the with the construction and the construction loan? You know, you can uh, talk to to Peter McCann and you know tell me about the the opportunity. You know, what does it look like to find space and you know, what kind of spaces are available and what does the rent cost? You could talk to Matt Fletcher and say, hey, Matt, you know, tell me how people fit out these offices and you know, what kind of equipment do I really need? And what can I get by with now, you know, as, as a minimum that I could add later? But, you know, the big thing is, you know, don't wait. You know, you you don't have to rush into this and say, hey, I'm going to hang out a shingle in, in three months. That would frankly be impossible in most scenarios. But, um what you shouldn't delay on is starting the process. Start the education process. Start talking to the people that you need to talk to, um, the team, as Doug said, uh, and start to assemble that team and start to really avail yourself of the, the knowledge and the expertise that you have and start to think about what is your vision? What do you want in your practice? And you don't have to sit and wait and continue to be an associate indefinitely. You have the tools, the the, the financing is readily available uh, to get out there and and, uh, and take a crack at, at doing something on your own. Uh, well, Doug, you know, thank you uh, so much for uh, for coming in today. It was, uh, it was great chatting with you. I always in, enjoy working uh Working with you on on deals, if uh, people uh, have questions or uh, want to connect with you and learn more about what the what the lending process looks like, how would they do that? Best way to do that is reach me on my cell phone, and that is six one zero six six three five six three two, and we can schedule a time to talk. I'm available in the evenings, weekends as well. Okay, and uh, email good for you too, Doug. Yeah, email is good. Uh, Doug Dries, D-O-U-G dot D-R-I-E-S at wellsfargo.com. Okay, and that'll be uh, up in our, our show notes uh, as well. Uh, and, you know, again, it's it's important when you're assembling this team, really need to work with somebody that understands all the things that Doug is talking about because they matter in your startup project and uh, having the the right loan and the sufficient loan to uh, for your startup can be the difference of succeeding and not succeeding. So thanks again for, for joining us, Doug, and uh, look forward to uh, continuing to work with you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with attorney Rob Montgomery. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the process of starting up a veterinary practice demystified. For more information about today's podcast or to contact Rob's firm, go to www.yourvetlawyer.com dot com.